trails. We love trails. Let's build more trails. If you look at, you know, because it's, it's like part park and it's part transportation and either way it's for all ages and abilities. And so it's just such a beautiful thing. Hi everyone. Welcome to the active towns podcast conversations about creating a culture of activity. My name is John Zimmerman. I'm the founder of the active towns initiative, and I'm truly honored to serve as your host each week on this podcast journey. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's always wonderful to have you along for the ride. Today is Friday, June 4th, 2021. And in this week's episode, I'm super excited to share this recent conversation I had with John Larson, Transportation Division Director for Salt Lake City, Utah. John is a classically trained professional engineer who is dedicated to creating an environment which provides wide mobility choices and is passionate about enhancing active mobility options. Salt Lake City was an early North American mover in the creation of protected cycling infrastructure. But due to politics and other complications, progress slowed down for a couple of years. John was hired in 2017, and since then, he and his team have been able to reestablish the momentum to create a safe and inviting all ages and abilities active mobility network. We talk a little bit about the historical context of Salt Lake City's wide streets and long block faces and he gives us an overview of some of the exciting projects his team is working on. But before we get rolling into those discussions, please allow me a moment to mention that this episode is once again being brought to you by the generous contributions of our donors, sponsors, and monthly patrons on our Patreon page. And I'm delighted to welcome another new patron. George W., it's an honor to welcome you to the Active Towns Movement. Now, if you too would like to contribute, please head over to my website at activetowns.org and click on that bright blue donate button at the top right corner of the page. However, if money is tight right now and making a contribution is just not an option, no worries. You can still help me out in a significant way by helping me to spread the word about Active Towns and this podcast. Either way, thank you so very much for tuning in and for whatever support you can send my way as I strive to grow this movement. One final reminder before we get started. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to and rate the Active Towns podcast on your preferred listening platform. This really does help with its visibility. Thanks. Okay, it's time to roll into my conversation with Salt Lake City's Transportation Division Director, John Larson. John, it's so wonderful to connect with you here today. Welcome to the Active Towns podcast. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this all week. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, hey, first of all, thank you so very much for taking time to chat about some of the exciting active mobility advances happening in the city of Salt Lake City. Um, But before we roll into all all that good stuff, can you just share a little bit about yourself, sort of your background and how you came to this work? Sure. Uh, So my background is in civil engineering. That's what I, I started out, you know, like a lot of kids started college and I uh, went and talked to department heads of different, I knew I wanted to be an engineer. I was like, oh, I'm good at math. I can be an engineer. It seems like a good career. And civil engineering kind of really struck me as like, wow, this is really cool. You got to build big things that impact lots of people and that last for generations. And as I got into it, I was like, you know, I really like the transportation stuff. And I just, I've always been fascinated with the way that cities work, you know, and transportation is such a huge part of that. And so I just kind of, you know, it's just one fork in the road after another. And next thing you know, 
you're, you know, you're in the transportation world. I spent actually most of my career on doing uh, travel demand forecasting. So like building and running traffic models. And then I ended up doing more of the big picture stuff. I ended up working for the MPO here locally, the Wasatch Front Regional Council, for uh, about seven years. Before that, it was consulting. And it was just really fun, just looking at the big picture stuff. And the more I got into it, the more it became obvious that, A, trying to forecast the future is completely futile, and that our industry is terrible at it, and that all the models were built to favor expanding highways. Right. That There's kind of this mentality of like, you know, you learn in school when you're designing pipes, like, oh, well, you know, it is unacceptable for a sewer pipe to back up. Therefore, we're going to design it and add 30%, right? And that's the right approach for a sewer pipe or a steel girder for a bridge. (laughs) Those are things, you know, like failure is catastrophic in those cases. But that same mentality has always been applied to the transportation world. And with the sole focus on moving traffic. And so it's like, oh, well, you know, if two lanes of traffic is good, then three lanes of traffic is better. And so it's just like my whole career just was always just kind of grating on me. And I had uh, lived in Madrid for a couple of years in my early 20s doing service work for, for my church. And I think that's really where it started, my love of active transportation. Okay. So I remember coming back home. And I was like, I'm just going to go walk to the store. My dad's like, what? Why would you walk to the store? It's like a mile and a half away along this busy arterial. And I was like, well, I, that's what I've been doing for two years. I, I, I kind of liked walking everywhere. He's like, no, no, here's the car keys. And and, I, and once I got going, I was like, oh, yeah, this really is far. And it, it just blew my mind. I, it, so I just, I've been, you know, I spent years just trying to, like, pick that apart and try and, like, understand, like, okay, why is it? that some cities are so incredibly walkable and the transit works so well. And then out here where we're like the wealthiest people, you know, in the world, we can't get this right. And so I, I feel like my, my time with the travel forecasting, it kind of gave me, especially an MPO, which are basically like sanctioned think tanks slash planning groups. Right. Yeah. I was able to spend a lot of time just kind of like picking away and just trying to understand like, how did we get here? How do we fix this? what is it that like truly creates walkability? How do we, you know, how do we fix the areas that weren't walkable? And along this path, I got involved with CNU, which I think is how we've met originally. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm very active in CNU. Yeah. Don't you, don't you run the, um, the, the runs the morning? Yeah. Didn't you help? Okay. So I think that's it. Cause I, I, I've, I've always really enjoyed those. So anyway, it feels like I'm kind of rambling here a little bit. Well, no, that's a that's a, a great place to, to pivot a little bit because, you know, I really discovered and came to appreciate uh, Salt Lake City and the opportunities that exist in Salt Lake City as, as well as the challenges of Salt Lake City when I attended CNU's uh, Congress there a few years back and uh, and became aware of the, the plat of Zion. And the the 10-acre blocks and the 660-foot-long block faces and uh, and, and the 132-foot-wide streets. So you have in front of you kind of exactly what you were talking about was 
you, you have a street grid that was was actually intentionally designed very 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 early on prior to the automobile and so unlike other massive western sprawling cities that have you know, wide, fast-moving streets and and uh, you know, and long blocks. They were built for you know, intentionally built for for the automobile, whereas this was not the case. <laughs> it's fascinating. Yeah, and yeah, it really is. And it was, you know, it was an agrarian town idea, and the, I think the thought was that you would replicate it again and again, but the it, you know. The early pioneers here had a very strong sense of community, and uh, you know, car-centric design does not create a strong sense of community. But yeah, the idea was you kind of cluster all the people in close, and then go out and work the fields, and then you come back together to learn together, to worship together, etc. And that was really what how that was meant to to be. But it's, you know, you hear Andre Stewani talk about it, right? It's designed to be incredibly flexible. Right. And people forget this, right, about streets generally that, you know, 150 years ago, the our, our streets were just they were, they were wide. They had they were lined with fruit trees and irrigation ditches and people just walked down the middle of the street. Right. And so, you know, when people are screaming heresy that you want to, like, squeeze down traffic lanes to put in uh, bike lanes, which we love doing, by the way, <laughs> then. People are like, wait, what? No, 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 this has always been for moving cars. And it's like, well, no, actually, um, long before the car existed, it was used as it was basically flex space. It was community space. And it was, you know, very utilitarian. It was, you know, you moved water to to irrigate your, your crops um, along the side. And so, you know, cities and streets are constantly changing. And um, we need to learn to really embrace that more. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. Now, uh, we're in May now, so and May marks the beginning of uh, what is traditionally known as resurfacing season in uh, <laughs> up in your neck of the woods. Right. Uh, I used to live on the other side of the, the, the divide there in Boulder, Colorado, and the same, the same holds true there. It's like, you know, once spring and, and summer starts rolling around, you start uh, getting serious about resurfacing and things of that nature. What you just said about, you know, sort of reimagining and redefining and redesigning uh, street space, as I understand, y'all are really intentional about as that resurfacing is coming around, you start balancing things out based on your complete streets ordinance, as well as your bike and pedestrian master plan. Talk a little bit about that sort of work and some of the exciting things that you have in store. Yeah, you know, it's been probably close to 20 years now that the city really started in earnest with adding bike lanes. And I think at first people are like, well, you know, bike lanes, you know, it, it's amazing just to think industry wide, how far we've come. Right. And now a striped bike lane is not enough. Right. And now I've, it's like, well, that's the bare minimum you can do. Right. But yeah, it's been just, and we've have staff that are just phenomenal at this and just have built a really great relationship with the street surface resurfacing crews and take every opportunity to put in put in bike lanes when those streets get resurfaced it often results in battles it seems like it's less and less of a battle honestly but you're usually you're often you know the, the easiest thing is the four four lane to three lane conversion usually 
because you're allowed to usually don't have to take away parking. That's where people really scream bloody murder is when you take away their parking. But, you know, going from two lanes each direction to one lane each direction with the center turn lane, we've gotten some pushback on that, but most people are generally pretty supportive of it. And we've also found that it helps if you don't couch it as just a, a bike project, but it's also, you know, a corridor safety project because it also improves conditions considerably for crossing the street as a pedestrian because now you only have one traf- one lane of traffic each direction to deal with. So we've done a lot of those and you know, we have a safety engineer who's been tracking the, um, you know, the stats on that. And you do see an increase often, at least for a short period of time in rear end crashes. But I'll take those all day over the more dangerous crashes like the T-bones and the, um, like when people are turning and, and, and get hit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But something, you know, interesting that's been happening, I, you know, not just in Salt Lake, but really nationwide, worldwide is um, pivoting to more high comfort bike facilities, buffered pi- bike lanes, protected bike lanes. And so we've had this phenomenal opportunity that has come up over the last couple of years is uh, the voters a- approved an $87 million streets bond. So we're rebuilding streets all throughout the city. And it was really sold as a opportunity to fix the pavement conditions, but we do have a com- complete streets ordinance. So when we rebuild the street, we, you know, we have to accommodate bikes and peds. And so we've taken full advantage of that. And, and when we were looking at the streets we could reconstruct, there's a pretty big list of streets that would qualify from a pavement condition but we worked with our folks in engineering to come up with a list that you know looking at the overlap between streets that with poor pavement and then streets that need kind of a makeover a complete streets uh multimodal makeover and so it's uh we're i think last year was the first construction season for these bond projects and then it's like five to six years total of um you know basically completely rebuilding all these streets and it's we've had to supplement with other funds as well to really do things is the way we want. But I've been pleasantly surprised at the amount of support that we've been getting from within the city and from the public to do some pretty radical makeovers of some of the streets. Some of the streets we're putting back not a whole lot different than than they started, but some streets are like truly transformative. So there's a street called Third West. It's one of the main north-south streets kind of just west of downtown. And it it has it, it's always had kind of a gritty industrial feel, a lot of big box stores, and uh, the pavement's in terrible condition. It doesn't even have continuous sidewalk. And where it does, it has, you know, telephone and light poles right, right in the middle of the sidewalk. So like if you're in a wheelchair, you have to like go out into the street and back around and it's, it's just like way too much pavement. And so it's getting a complete overhaul. Uh, we're adding in a complete sidewalk landscaping with park strips and then a two way protected bike lane. So this is, so it goes from ninth South all the way to 21st South. It, you know, that's what, like a mile and a half maybe of, uh, basically strode as Chuck Marone would call it. Right. We're, we're narrowing up the pavement. Um, in some cases, we're actually, you know, taking away a lane of traffic 
So it'll have a consistent five lane cross section. So it's still moving a lot of cars, but then having a protected bike lane. So it's, you have the curb, landscaping, bike lane, another little curb, and then a sidewalk. And we're even for the first time in the city adding in the little, uh, I don't even know what you call them, where you pull up at the, at the stoplight, you have like the little rail and like a little footrest. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So we're feeling like, Hey, you know, we're getting big time here in little old Salt Lake city with, with our bike infrastructure. (laughs) Yeah. Let me interject something too, because you guys were one of the early leaders in protected cycle infrastructure. And I believe you had one of the first uh, official protected intersections in the United States in the early days of that of, of that. So I, I guess uh, what I would ask for you is what is the update on that build out of that high comfort, all ages and, and abilities cycle network? Uh, because it's, it, you know, obviously that's the goal is to have an entire network versus, you know, one off projects here and there. So what's sort of that update on on the vision? Yeah, I mean, we still have a long ways to go. Yeah, you know, and, and downtown is is tough, but uh, we have another project. So Third South is where that protected bike lane was, and that was under Robin Hutchison, who was my predecessor. So I'm grateful for you know her leadership. She kind of helped lay a lot of groundwork, fought some of those early battles. And it was super controversial. It was like even when I started in 2017, it was you know I kept getting earfuls from business owners and the, you know, the firefighters, but that's a stupid protected bike lane. But the funny thing is second West, which intersects it, uh, which is where that intersection is where we had the protected intersection, zero controversy. So I was like, Hmm, how come, you know, was third West, it was a controversial just cause it was the first one in or, you know, was there something else to it? I, I still don't know that I have a great answer to that, but you know, the dust is kind of settled. People have kind of, I think, accepted it. And sometimes people, they just have this aversion to new things. And so, you know, we've been kind of tweaking our messaging and, and whatnot, but like on, on third West, it's been like zero controversy about the protected bike lane, like none whatsoever. And I don't know if that helps that we have this opportunity instead of retrofitting it, it's a complete reconstruct. Right. Right. And so it's like, Oh, you know, we're adding landscaping continuous sidewalks and new pavement. Oh, and also protected bike lane. I, I don't like I don't know, but it was like we've got zero pushback on it. Well, it's you guys are in a in at least in the downtown area, you guys have a rather unique situation because of that original plat. The fact that those streets are as wide as they are, mm-hmm. it gives you that opportunity. You have like a you know a blank slate, a canvas that you can kind of redesign and reimagine uh, what that's going to look like when it comes to outside that original plat it sounds like you have some more traditional types of north american uh western north american street designs because you had mentioned the four three lane conversions and things of that nature Mm -hmm. and the other thing that kind of comes to mind when i think of that very first visit It wasn't my first visit to Salt Lake City, but it was my first visit to Salt Lake City where I had my urbanism hat on, you know, and I'm like thinking about, you know, the design. I was just really impressed and 
at the same time overwhelmed by the fact that that space, that street space that exists could be redefined and reimagined. And y'all had already started that process. Uh, but I was also just, you know, blown away because I, as I tend to do, I was, you know, bopping around the, the city on my, my, my traveling bike, my folding uh, Brompton bike. And I was just blown away by how fast the cars, the motor vehicles were traveling in that environment. And so, you know, one of the things that uh, that keeps coming up a lot is, you know, this need for, uh, especially in residential areas, but also in, in, in downtown areas for traffic calming. And, and trying to slow motor vehicle speeds. What's sort of the, the, the progress that you all are, are making in terms of, uh, of that, you know, sort of that ethic of, you know, hey, <laughs> there's a place for people to, to travel quickly. It's, those are called interstates <laughs> and freeways, you know. Right. We're, yeah. we're, these are streets. These streets are for people and we need traffic calming. What's, what's sort of the update um, on, in that realm for you guys? Um. It feels like we're hitting on like we have like all these initiatives that are all just like running in parallel. Right. So we have, you know, we're rebuilding these arterials and trying to, you know, tame them a little bit. And we have a couple other projects that I can mention later on um, on that. But then we also have growing support for doing a neighborhood traffic calming program. We had one in the early in the late 90s. It got disbanded in 2003 just because that kind of got controversial. There's mostly speed bumps that we were doing. And so when I got hired on, uh, you know, I was told like, no, city policy, we don't do speed bumps anymore. I was like, well, really? Why not? And so the first like big controversy I stepped in was putting, um, I was like, well, let's just try doing raised crosswalks. That's not a speed bump. And we did that on a, like a minor neighborhood collector. And you'd think that I was like, you know, a mass murderer, uh, the way that some of the, the folks from that neighborhood talked about me. But they went in and it's fine, right? And so we've kind of dipped our toe back in that water. And now, like, the city council is like, wait, we want more of this. What, what would it take to get a traffic calming program rebooted, right? Because none of them were around in 2003. And so we've been putting a lot of thought and effort into that. We fired a consultant to develop a, a citywide plan. And so we're, we're trying to shift to just instead of street by street that we'd call them neighborhood by neighborhood. So you can avoid that controversy of having the reality and often just perception of that if you calm one street that just pushes the traffic onto the adjacent streets. And um, so just do the whole neighborhood at once, right? And so that's kind of the direction we're going. And I'm, I'm hopeful that probably next year's budget will get some funding to, to get that rebooted. Um, it's, 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 it seems like there's a lot of support and popularity for the idea. Now, is that the Living Streets program? Is that what that's... The, yeah, the, the livable streets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have a little uh, a web page um, that explains some of that. If you just Google livable streets, SLC, you'll, you'll find it. And I, I think I saw a photo, too, of a small footprint, slow speed traffic calming traffic circle. Yeah. So you're getting away from that, you know, that you're getting more tools in the toolbox of the, you know, the, the horizontal deflections of the chicanes and and. Other than, and like you said, the raised, you know, crosswalks, continuous sidewalk kind and bike lane kind of approach, which Cambridge, Massachusetts does a fantastic job of uh, getting away from just the speed bumps. You have more tools in your toolbox now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, and then the other thing that um, our uh, our pet bike master plan 
It was adopted in 2015, identifies as a network of neighborhood byways. So this is targeted traffic calming, plus kind of like when you talk about that network, um, I think that's an important element because it's a low cost, relatively low cost way to help really flesh out a, a, you know, a network of safe streets. And we've been, you know, tinkering with that. And it's still like we're, we're working on developing better standards for it. And I think it, just cost constraints, we've just focused preliminarily on making the crossings at major streets safer. But, you know, I think the next step is to go back in and like full on calm the streets. Right. Yeah. With traffic calming and maybe diverters and, and things like that. So it's still, you know, and we're also developing like some branding. We've um, been working on getting, you know, there's some other streets that, or cities that have some really cool branding for their for their byways. And everyone calls them, you know, different things. But um, that's whatever reason we settled on calling them neighborhood byways. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, too. And you're absolutely right. Many cities call them different things. <laughs> and but it, it, it essentially, if you really step back and look at it from a, a design perspective, it's all about a, a, a quieter, more traffic calmed, comfortable street, which more likely than not is on these narrower residential streets. Mm-hmm. And they are, um, it, it, it's, it's an essence, in essence, a shared street situation. So there's not necessarily going to be room for that separated, protected uh, infrastructure for, um, you know, people cycling. So you're, you're in a situation where, as you mentioned, you've got your traffic diverters and you have filter permeability for people on bikes and, and be, being able to do that. So whether you call it a, a green street or, or bicycle boulevard or whatever, you know, in the, in the Dutch, they, they call them feet struts, which are, are bicycle priority streets. And, and so, you know, that's kind of the situation that you have there. Now, you mentioned standards, you know, working on kind of the standards for those designs. Mm-hmm. Is that sort of included in your street and intersection uh, typologies design guide that mm-hmm. you're currently getting feedback on? Yeah, and that's that's a project that I've been super <laughs> excited about. We got a grant from my previous employer, WFRC, to, to help fund that. And are very, very appreciative of that. But it's given us that opportunity to reimagine our streets, you know, from t- t- typical traffic engineering, you know, 101, you learn, you know, you have local collector arterial and then highway, right? Or grade separated facility. And we needed a, we need a better me- menu of options. And so we developed 15 typologies. And then it also acknowledges the adjacent land use and like, you know, height and design of the adjacent buildings and, um, and uses. And that's something that I think has been completely ignored in our in our industry. We tried to model it a lot after what they did in Seattle, the Streets Illustrated guide, which is phenomenal work that they've done up there. And so we're just a couple steps behind them. So I don't know that I'd call it design standards so much as um, kind of a vision for each street. And then the next step, it would be to develop more detailed standards that would support each of those streets. And it's very, you know, idealistic. But, you know, this is like, hey, this is for the next 50, 100 years. This is what we want to work on as a city is making our streets look more like this instead of what we have. Right. But that, that's the idea with the with the typologies guide. But, um, yeah, there's one of the I think in there we call it like neighborhood green street. Yeah. But that's that's basically, you know, the byway. Got it. Got it. Well, kind of 
keeping on the same theme of the the shared street, you know, shared space sort of concept. How has the pandemic influenced your division's activities and and also, you know, sort of the community's relationship to street space? Like a lot of cities, we've, you know, we tinkered with closing some streets to traffic or better said, opening them to walking, biking and scootering. We even had one street where there's a young woman who would go out and play like a little violin concert. People come out on there. Um, it also makes me tear up. Yeah. Um, but like she'd come out and like, you know, during this terrible time, um, it brought a lot of joy to people. Right. And she'd like come out and, you know, neighbors would come out and sit on their, their front, their front uh, lawns and, and listen and, and so what that did is we did, uh, I think, 10 of those streets around the city. And it was really interesting to see neighborhood by neighborhood. Some, some of the neighborhoods were like, this is ridiculous. Why are you foisting this upon us? We didn't have a problem. And now, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, it's one of my favorite quotes. There's a guy who, and I, I try not to, you know, I try to be respectful when people send in comments, but sometimes they're just too funny. Uh, so this guy, he sends this thing in. And he goes, here you are, you know, repurposing this street and telling people to just walk down the middle of the street. That's not safe. You know, wrong again. Streets are for cars. And like, I don't know, like that to me was just one of the funniest phrases of like any of the feedback I've gotten. But most of the, you know, most of the streets, people were like, oh, this is really cool. And a couple of them, like we had to, you know, wait until the snow was flying before we finally took down the signs, you know, and we just put down like the sandwich board, you know, barricades. But they're doing, you know, street parties and, well, safe, right? I mean, but it was like people would do concerts and play games and just, you know, have evening strolls and just really embraced it. And it would help us keep the signs in place, like move them out of the way for garbage trucks and move them back. And so it was really cool. And a lot of people are disappointed we were not doing it this year again. Uh, we just made the conscious decision that like, hey, we learned a lot from that. Got a lot of really good feedback from different parts of the city, but that the most valuable thing we can do, because one of the you know most limited resources I have is staff time, um, even more so than money. I, mean, I always need more money to to do projects, but it doesn't matter how much money you have if you don't have staff to implement, right? Right. Um, and so we just made the conscious decision, like we'll use the energy from that to pivot to um, the more permanent implementation. And so we've been focused. We were able, one of the streets we already put in phase one of a neighborhood byway. So it's Emory Street out on, on the west side. Uh, another street we're working right now with the community to develop a traffic calming plan for the whole street. And then a couple others that we're working on fleshing out some neighborhood byway ideas. And it's it's been really rewarding. And I think it really helped a lot of people just completely reimagine the way that they look at the street and the way that it's used and recognize that that street is public space. It's shared by and owned by the people. And it doesn't have to just be for moving cars fast. <laughs> so that's been, that's been really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So I know that there's a, a, a sort of a multi department, multi agency, a sort of project that is the life on state. What is that all about? That's, uh, it's been, oh, maybe 10 or 15 years that the original vision was created to go all the way from like you know, state street. It's, you know, the US 89. It's, it's this 
state-owned arterial that runs from basically the Capitol building on the north all the way down, you know, to like Draper in the south. It's just famously ugly. Um, <laughs> you know, car dealerships, gas stations, you know, that sort of stuff. Big box stores. Again, the Strode. Yeah, it is a classic Strode. So there is this, you know, this vision that was created. And then there is a group of cities that, again, using a grant from WFRC, created a more like an implementation plan kind of, you know, for the north end. So like Salt Lake and South Salt Lake kind of worked, collaborated together to drill down a little more detail of like what could be done on State Street. Because it runs right through the heart of our, our downtown on the north end. And then you get past the city county building on, you know, about a half mile south of downtown and that just like opens up, right? And you can just, you can feel it and you can hear it. People, they just, they hit the gas and they're, you know, they're out of there. But that part of town, and there's actually some businesses that have gotten together and they've called it, they've branded it the Midtown District. And it's really cool. Like there's some really like awesome restaurants and um, a music venue called the, the State Room. And they're like, you know, fighting for this place. They're like, no, State Street is not just for buying used cars. And it's not just this place riddled with drugs and prostitution. It's it's a, it, you know, it's a place to come and to be and as a community. And so we're trying to build off of that to tame it a little bit, at least for starting off for, you know, two or three blocks. We were able to get a county grant to do that. The design, I think we're at 70% design. And we're, we're constrained again, you know, because we don't, the city doesn't own it. And the state DOT has the mandate from the legislature. They remind us of this. The primary purpose of state facilities is to move traffic. But they've, you know, within the constraints that they have been given, I feel like UDOT staff have been really worked hard with us to come up with a good design. And so what what we are going to end up doing is pulling in the curb line. So we'll have much wider space on the sidewalk, um, room for signalized mid-block crossings, better bus stops, landscaping, you know, kind of some furniture zones, gathering space besides just, you know, a wider sidewalk and uh, some landscaping. I'm not able to repurpose a lane. I think traffic wise, traffic volume wise, we could justify it, but policy wise, we can't. So, you know, we're doing what we can. And so because we focused on the pedestrian and transit because it's a popular bus route. We haven't been able to fit in bike lanes, unfortunately. Um, and so we have a spin-off project. We're calling it Life on State, like connectivity to look on Main Street and 2nd East on either side of it to put in really high comfort bike lanes and have a lot of support. Yeah. So at least you have that parallel high comfort bike lane route. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not ideal. I mean, ideally, we'd be able to get the protected bike lane on State Street. Yeah, but it, you got to have a willing agency in the state to to be able to do that. So, right, and I think you know to do what we want to do would take an act of the legislature. Right. You know, maybe someday we'll get there. But you know, it, it was a big win that that outside lane, the buses no longer have to pull out and then pull back into traffic; they just stop. Got in in that outside lane. So it, we're you know turning that into a little bit of a de facto bus lane. So that's a win. But the, you know, the bike lane that we're planning for Main Street is, it's going to be really nice. So I know, you know, it's not great, but that's also got its own burgeoning group of, of businesses and a lot of just cool local shops and restaurants and bakeries. 
Well, and, and because they're going to have, you know, protected, you know, high quality, high comfort uh, uh, cycle infrastructure, those businesses are going to thrive that much more. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, on State Street, the businesses that we've been working with, they're thrilled with what, what we're planning. And, you know, there's uh, this group. It's kind of this Asian fusion. You can get like Masaman Curry and, and, um, and Sushi. It's called Sapa, but they've been buying up all sorts of land around there. They're doing like this really cool food alley and um, the sidewalks will be wide enough that they're talking about maybe having like offsite parking and having like the tuk-tuks where, you know, you, they'll come pick you up and stuff. And so it, it, it'll be, a, I think, a really cool atmosphere when it's when it's all said and done. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the, the buses a couple of times. So let's talk a little bit about the integration of active mobility your sort of the plans that you have there, as well as the the transit master plan and and sort of that integration. One of the recurring themes that we've had on the Active Towns podcast is is how that those two systems, those two networks, you know, if you can integrate them, they can really then you know you know take it to a whole new level. And of course, the the gold standard of that is how the the bike network and the and 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 riding cycling is integrated with the uh, the regional train systems, you know, in the Netherlands, where it just you know the, it's the combination is that magic you know magic touch. Talk a little bit about those two things because I know you've got a a, a trans a, a transit master plan also that's out there, and uh, you know one of the great things that I that impressed me about my visit to Salt Lake City uh, for CNU was. You you know, the, 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 the light rail or the train stop, you know, right there in the downtown area, because that was a great example of reimagining how to redefine that 132 foot wide street. Yeah. So I'll start a, a little bit bigger picture with the region for our transit network. You know, like this is like a really desolate place, right? Like in the 1840s, people were like, you're nuts. You're not going to make it out there <laughs> because it's, <laughs> Yeah, we're like this little oasis, you know, and you just you go you go a little bit to the west and it's, it is really desolate and you know, like the salt flat. It's gorgeous, but not conducive to, you know, life. But we have these mountains, these life giving mountains, these gorgeous mountains that we all love. And I think it's one of the things that attracts people and keeps people here. But so you have kind of this narrow strip that goes north and south for the region. And that's where that's where something like 70% of the state's population is. We call it the Wasatch Front. And so our, our transit system, well, and our highway system are very, you know, north-south oriented. And, you know, for us as a city, that's, you know, we're grateful for it. It's amazing. We have you know, uh, the high-speed commuter rail that's 80 miles long, so it, it, and with Salt Lake right in the middle. And then we have the light rail system where um, that's just in the Salt Lake Valley. And it extends out, you know, I think we have what is it, three lines that extend out uh, across the valley and then connect between downtown and the university. But uh, what's really been lacking is the east-west connections and really getting that. So we have the bones, but we need, you know, we need the meat on the bones. And so we, uh, after adopting the plan in 2017, so I had just barely started with the city when the transit master plan was adopted. And uh, almost immediately, the, the mayor and council were like gung ho on like, let's get this funded. Let's start funding this. And so they created this, you know, funding our future initiative. They had 
through some other, you know, different backstory um, for another day, um, the state had authorized Salt Lake City specifically to raise the sales tax up to a half a cent. We could spend it on whatever we wanted. And so they said, well, you know, funding our future. So it was like four legs. It was like affordable housing, better, you know, keeping our streets in better shape, more funding for, you know, safer, you know, like public safety and police. And then transit was the fourth leg. And so we started a partnership with with UTA and within nine months had negotiated like a 20 year interlocal agreement where the city pays UTA to run additional east west bus service in the city, which that was one of the more challenging and gratifying things I've done in my career was being a part of those negotiations. Sounds easy enough, but <laughs> bus service is complicated and figuring out what's a, a fair price to, you know, to pay the agency to run additional service in your city. Yeah, I'm told that other places that have done it, it usually takes three to four years of negotiations. So that was pretty cool. So in August 2019, um, we started running this new service. And on the three first, first three routes, we have two more coming um, next year. And then later this fall, we actually have an on-demand ride service for some of the more sprawling West Side neighborhoods um, that would that will take you and connect you to some of the main transit hubs. And then as part of that program, we've also been getting, you know, some capital funding. So we're building, you know, doing like literally hundreds of bus stop upgrades, getting them ADA compliant, partnering with UTA to put on, you know, benches and shelters. So you don't just have the, you know, as we lovingly call it, the stick in the mud bus stops. And then also looking at, you know, first last mile connections, because people don't really think of, transit is an active mode, but kind of like what you're saying, it it really is, right? Because when you drive somewhere, you just shuffle out to the garage and off you go. But for transit, um, you're going to usually walk or take your bike to the you know nearest bus stop or, or, or station. So at least part of that trip is active. And so we're, we're really trying to, to embrace that so that you know people can live car free or car light and live well in the city. That's really the goal. Exactly, exactly. And what we're seeing more of, and one of the things that really stands out when you look at uh, the success that the Dutch have had is, you know, they, they've got about 40% of their trips uh, on their transit line, the, the, the train system there, are, you know, people are coming to their train station on their bikes. And then, uh, you know, like you said, well, you've got your that final mile solution. You know, when you get to your destination, how are you going to get to your destination? Mm-hmm. Assuming your 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 destination isn't actually the uh, the transit stop, it it's you know that ability to then shift to another mode, whether that is walking or cycling or scootering or whatever it may may be from a micromobility standpoint or maybe it is over to another transit ride uh, on a on a different system uh, you know like a, a a circulator or a bus or you know in the case of uh in, in denver uh you know I, I spent a couple of years working in downtown denver when i lived in boulder i'd ride the regional bus into the uh, market street station then get up from there and make the decision do i walk the rest of the way to 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 the office or if it's brutally cold and snowing and sleeting or something do i jump on the 
the the 16th Street uh, circulator bus that you know can get me there to my destination within a, a, a few blocks or so. But one of the things that I'm seeing in North America increasingly, and we're seeing it here in Austin, is an integration of the transit system with the bike share system. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's sort of the update on Salt Lake City's bike share? Because I remember it was very much prominent there a few years ago when I was visiting. Yeah, they're still going strong. Green bike, you know, they're an independent nonprofit, but the city played a big role in getting them up, them up and going. And part of our agreement is, you know, they basically get access to their station areas for free. We don't charge them. So that's a nice subsidy. And then we also have helped provide some funding and chasing after some grants for, you know, station ex- expansion. But they, you know, just keep slowly picking away at their expan- expansion and, yeah, like you, you mentioned, like the options. So just a couple months ago, I was, I, I was taking the train into the office and I from I take the bus down to the station. Then I have two trains that come by, one that takes me into downtown and one that takes me like 200 feet from my office. So I grabbed the first one. I was like, you know what, I'll figure it out. But um, it's the one that, you know, goes straight to downtown, not, you know, because my office is just a little bit east of there. And um, I'm going along and I was like, oh, yeah, there's a, a bike share station at the night south stop. I'm just going to it's a beautiful day. I'm just going to bail, jump on that. And I, you know, five minutes later, I was at the office. Right. Um, so it's I, I just love it. It's you know, it, it's it, and it, it feels so liberating. Right. When you take the bus or the train downtown, you get off and it's just like, you know, the city is yours for the taking. You don't have this big two ton hunk of metal that you have to babysit and pay for, right? Find a place, you know, a safe place to park it and worry about it. And when you're done, like, you know, you don't have to go back to wherever you parked your car to get home. You can just say, oh, well, I can, from here, I can take this other line and then get home. You know, it's pretty cool. And and again, very conducive to an active lifestyle, right? Because you are walking around or biking Yeah. Well, that's the empowerment of choice that you have when you have a system, a a safe and inviting all ages and abilities network that you can choose from. And and then you have that option of being able to jump on the flexibility of of a bike share system or, you know, or whatever micro mobility uh, device that you might have at your your offering. And and you can do that on a whim. You could be like, hey, yeah, let's go do this. And I, yeah, I was smiling. I was beaming as you were saying that as you were smiling because yeah. you were expressing the joy of doing that. Now, before we hit the record button, uh, you were also sharing with me that, you know, a little bit of a, the joy of uh, on those occasions when you now ride all the way to work so so yeah share with the audience a little bit about that story well yeah so i live you know eight to nine miles from from the office um and it's uphill on the way home and you know i was riding you know just like my regular road bike and a couple days a week was about all i could handle (laughs) um but i enjoyed it and then i kind of so three and a half years ago is when i discovered e-bikes and kind of became an e-bike e- evangelist because like it's it's still biking it's just faster and more fun and it's it just kind of you know it like doubles or triples the distance that you could cover and so that became my commuter car and i thought it'd be a hard sell to my wife um i was like hey i really want an e-bike and she's like well do i get your car and i was like okay done deal so i went and got my bike and and so you know and we have kids in high school and so they you know my oldest son like 
drives a minivan to to school. He doesn't care. It's 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 still a car for him. Even you know, it's like a twenty year old beat up old minivan. And I don't I don't have like a default car that's mine. My default car is my my e bike, and it's uh, it, it works really well. And it's funny when I first got it. Like I think you know the the mentality has shifted a lot with e bikes. Because when I first got it, people would be like other other people on bikes are like you cheater and i'm like how come you don't say that to the people driving by you know in their chevy or their tesla or whatever that you know i'm not really cheating i guess a little bit but i'm you know i'll own it it's fun and it, and it's still you know <laughs> i i and i miss it that's been one of the things i've really really missed other than you know the sociality of being in the office having that time to just kind of decompress and like pedal through my like frustrations of the day and i think that's probably why my you know my wife is so supportive of it because she she knows when i bike home i'm in a better mood she doesn't have to hear me grouse about you know whatever laundry list of yeah obnoxious things that i have to deal with every day well one of the best videos that uh, people for bikes produced a few years ago was uh, a shed the monster video which was you know all about you know get on that bike and, you know, whatever monster is, you know, in your head, you know, it just sort of melts away. And yeah. Now, earlier you were mentioning about the fact that the, you know, the, the topography of the area, the environment of the area, it's kind of desolate out on that West side, heading out towards the Salt Lake. Um, but you're nestled in right next to the Wasatch mountains mm-hmm. and it's an area that just like Denver and, and a few other areas, Los Angeles is an area like this as well, that, that sort of traps the air pollutants and it just sits yeah. there and it cooks. And you guys have, unfortunately, in the last few years have had national news level, you know, yeah. you know, <laughs> issues of air alerts. I mean, there's a sense of urgency that we need to get, you know, because, again, this is this is a, a function of the mountains themselves and all the more urgent to try to stop from adding additional pollutants into the air. Talk a little bit about that sense of urgency that y'all are feeling there in the valley. Yeah, I mean, that's really our current mayor. That's what she really campaigned on. I mean, she before getting into politics was an air quality advocate. And um, that's how I originally got to know her was out at W4C where we did the, you know, the um, air quality modeling for the region. And it's just, you know, it, it's frustrating to have to marinate in our, our own (laughs) tailpipe exhaust until the next storm comes all winter. It's not as bad in the summer. We have some ozone issues in the summer, but the winter time, you know, you just brace for it. You're like, Oh no, you know, we're going to have inversions and then, and it just, you know, it, it, you can taste the air and it's, it's, it's awful. And the ability to, you know, it, it, you kind of have to look at it from, you know, an all, all of the above approach to tackling it. But transportation is the number one contributor and rightfully so receives a lot of the attention on, on how to fix it. And, you know, electric cars alone are not going to get us where we need to go. So, uh, yeah, everything we're talking about with the transit and the, you know, we have a lot of conversations with UTA about electric buses, electrifying their system, and they're they're all about that. But then, yeah, walking and biking. And there's just so many other benefits, too, for walking and biking. So as far as a public health perspective, it's a no-brainer. And people are f- more, like the general population starting to see it that way, right? Right. 
instead of just poo-pooing this issue is, um, or finally it's like, no, no, this actually really matters and we need to take this seriously, you know, from across the political spectrum. And that's been one of the, the great things that's happened over the, ne- the last decade or so is that it's become less of a political thing and more of a, we're in this together and we need to fight through this and fix this together sort of issue. And it helps that you have, you know, like these tech companies, everyone wants to recruit and grow tech companies and you have, you know, you're recruiting people from San Francisco to like relocate or grow a company out here. And they're like, you know, they come in January and they're like, yeah, maybe not. No, thanks. That, you know, that, that gets people's attention. Yeah. Regardless of politics. Well, and one of the interesting things is too, is that this is again, another reason for building out that all ages and abilities, high comfort cycling network, especially when it's protected and separated. Uh, from motor vehicle yeah. traffic. And we see this in very, very cold places like in Finland, where they see mm-hmm. huge numbers, uh, especially of kids getting to school by bike. It's why? Well, they have protected and separated infrastructure to do that. And, uh, and, and the Dutch demonstrate this year after year, as well as the Danes, is that, yeah, they just keep riding through the snow, just mm-hmm. like you get there in Salt Lake City. It's like, yeah, I mean, the, the difference is, is you, you have to have the protected infrastructure and mm-hmm. you may need to, you know, alter your clothing a little bit and, and put some layers on. But it, it's entirely possible and, in fact, still enjoyable <laughs> to be able mm-hmm. to make that uh, make that ride. Yeah. And it helps with, you know, like seasonal depressions. It's a very real thing. Is it cold and dark all winter? And you'd think that like being outside would be miserable and would exacerbate it. Now it's the opposite. Like, you know, it's a real mood booster to be able to like get out and exercise and get that blood pumping. Um, It feels really good. Um, And you just bundle up a little bit. Right. And if you have the infrastructure, people will use it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very good. Well, hey, say, is there any last thing that, that, that you wanted to say? Well, yeah. So, you know, the one of the things that we've been working on, um, we're calling them urban trails, and that's you know, part of it's real and part of it's you know how are you marketing protected bike lanes, but we have another project that cuts east west through the entire city called the Nine Line, and it's this trail that we've been been working on, and we never thought that we'd be able to get the middle section done. That's like this mile section right through the heart of the the city. And that's a, uh, you know, that's an example where we have a, a four lane street and we're actually eliminating, completely eliminating two, two lanes of traffic and pulling the south curb all the way up to have basically it, it's a linear park with a trail on it. And trails are wildly popular. <laughs> all, you know, I, I'm pretty sure nationwide, but for sure I've seen it statewide, right? Like mayors, regardless of their politics are like, Trails. We love trails. Let's build more trails. <laughs> uh, and um, if you look at, you know, because it's, it's like part park and it's part transportation and either way, it's for all ages and abilities. And so it's just such a beautiful thing. And that's plugged in as part of what we're calling this, you know, this green loop. And we're starting to get some momentum to do that as well of just completely rethinking streets. So we're looking at another street that potentially we might just turn the street into a linear park, like a full on linear park with like playgrounds and, you know, like a little dog park. And so it's, you know, kind of ties, 
I feel like the beautiful thing with those sorts of concepts is it ties like everything together, you know, with as far as reimagining the streets as public space, it's active transportation, it's greening. And you're just hitting on all cylinders. And I think once people get a taste of that sort of stuff, it seems like the old way of doing things is just ridiculous and they don't want to go back. So anyway, it's, it's exciting times and you know, here in Salt Lake and I think industry wide and it's with social media, it's, it's so easy to spy on other cities and be inspired and kind of feel like you're all pushing each other to, you know, to, to do better. And I just, I'm, I'm just grateful to be in the game. Yeah. Well, and that's the role that we play here at Active Towns is to help uh, broadcast and celebrate and promote uh, the wonderful things that are happening around the, the globe and across North America. Any last bits of advice that you might have for the listeners that have been inspired by the things that are happening there in Salt Lake City? What advice would you have for them to, to be able to make a difference in their own community, their own neighborhoods? I would say find, find your allies, right? And if, you know, if there's city staff or agency staff that get it and you're frustrated that things aren't moving fast enough, just be nice to them. They're trying they're your allies. Don't burn those bridges. I know like sometimes advocates get frustrated that things aren't going as fast. Yeah. Trust me. If you're frustrated, the staff who get it and are trying and pushing the right direction, they're even more frustrated because they're right in the, the thick of it. Yeah. And then, you know, tied to that is that staff can't do anything without political support. Yeah. Both, you know, the direction to, to move ahead and the funding. And so, uh, you know, you got to really focus on that. And I, I feel like we're making progress in not having these like wars of, you know, bikes versus cars, good, evil. And instead just like, hey, it's all about choices. It's about ha- healthy, active lifestyle. It's about, you know, urban trails, you know, et cetera. Right. That it's like you're not beating people. You're not browbeating people. It's, it's not effective. Right. But you can inspire people. And there's so much to inspire people with. And you get the politicians on board and it'll, it'll trickle down. Right. Yeah. That's beautiful. Cause I, we can't, we, I can't do anything like there. We wouldn't be able to do any of this if we didn't have support from the mayor and council. Right. And so, you know, I'm so grateful that we do. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Hey, what's the best way for folks to, to follow along with uh, the work that you all are doing uh, there in, in Salt Lake city? I don't know, so, social media we have um, the transportation division has pretty good, account on Twitter. It's at SLC moves. I have my personal account at stretch traffic. It's a great way to, I think, be in the know. Fantastic. Well, hey, John, it was such a pleasure catching up with you here today. Congratulations on all the continued incremental improvements y'all are making in Salt Lake City. I really can't wait to get back there. (laughs) I look forward to my next visit to to really, you know, do some filming, some profile, some of the stuff that you have out there and explore. Maybe you and I can get out on the bikes. Thank you so much for joining me on the Active Towns podcast. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. I would love to, to bike around with you and uh, show you the good, the bad and the ugly. All right. <laughs> Thank you also very much for tuning in to episode number 77 of the Active Towns podcast. Salt Lake City is a wonderful North American example of how overly wide streets can be reimagined and redefined once again. Originally a pioneering legacy design which enabled one to accomplish a U-turn with a team of oxen or horses, 
They now can be transformed to accommodate all modes with the addition of safe and inviting protected and separated spaces for more vulnerable roadway users, as well as transit priority zones. John is clearly a professional engineer that understands that cities work best when they are authentically multimodal and the era of being single-mindedly focused on the fast movement of single occupancy motor vehicles is over. I applaud John and all the other engineers, planners, and city leaders out there pushing the envelope of innovation and going against the status quo of car-centric design and dependency. As John alluded to, these changes are not easy, will be met with vigorous resistance, but if we're persistent, the pushback will lessen. So I'd like to echo his call to action. If we'd like to see our communities and neighborhoods become more welcoming environments for active living and active mobility for everyone, that's all ages and abilities, we have to speak up and let our political representatives know that these quality of life issues are important and essential. We must be persistent, yet respectful, helpful, and engaged. And we have to help celebrate each and every victory, no matter how small. Remember, the haters will be calling on the politicians to revert everything back to the status quo of car-centric design, and will use misinformation, lies, and personal attacks to get what they want. So we have got to let our leaders and city staff know that these efforts are appreciated, that we want them to accelerate the progress, and that we do have their backs when the going gets rough. Alrighty, it's that time again for my parting fundraiser plug. If you've enjoyed this episode and appreciate my efforts to profile the encouraging efforts happening around the globe to promote active living and active mobility, please help me out by making a tax-deductible contribution to Active Towns. Each and every donation is truly appreciated and really does make a huge difference in allowing me the ability to continue producing this content and growing the culture of activity movement. Doing so is easy. Just click on the link in the show notes or go to activetowns.org and navigate to the donate page. Thank you so very much. That's all for this week's episode. So until next time, this is John signing off by wishing you much activity, health, and happiness. Cheers. Cheers.